This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. This Torah class is brought to you by torahanytime.com. Okay, Parsh Bami Bor 5782, everyone. We're going to talk about a Pusik. This is not an easy Pusik to talk about. The truth is, there's a lot of stuff in Parsh Bami Bor that are not very easy to talk about. Perak Dalit Pusik Gid Gimel says, Vidishnu Esamizbeach. Now, we're going to translate that as, they cleaned off the Mizbeach, Uporsulav Beged Argaman, and they spread a purple wool beged on top of it, a purple wool beged on top of it. So during their travels, B'nai Yisrael, they had to cover all the different Kalim with different Begadim, so that it wouldn't be able to be seen. We'll talk about that in a second. The golden Mizbeach, for example, the inner Mizbeach, where they just did the Ketorahs, had a Tcheles covering as well as Tachash skins. The Shulchan and the Menorah, also they had Tcheles coverings as well as a Tachash skin. There was an added Tolas Shani skin that was for the Menorah itself. The Aron Kodesh was surrounded by the Parochas. They took the Parochas and put it around the Aron Kodesh. That in turn was surrounded by a Tachash skin and on top of that Tcheles. So Tcheles and Tachash you're hearing a bunch. The Menorah was a little bit different with the Tolas Shani, right? But the outer Mizbeach was totally different. The outer Mizbeach was covered by purple wool. Purple wool. The Argaman, right? Purple wool. With all of the utensils needed for it, possibly on top of it, that's a bit of a machlokas, covered by a tcheles beged. Okay? So the kelo were on top of tcheles. There is no tachash. It was just Argaman. And the question is why? And obviously, what in the world is going on here? Was it specific? Was it done on purpose? What exactly is it? So the Tzor says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu preferred that no one stares at the kelim as they were traveling. And this is for one of two reasons. The first reason is that there should always be a degree of respect. The same way that you're not supposed to go to a mikvah with your father. You're not supposed to go to a mikvah with your Rebbe. The same thing with the Arun Kodesh, with the Mizbeach. These are kalim that were holy. To be able to use them, so to speak, I don't mean that in whatever, but to look at them and stare at them when they're in their nakedness, when they're outside of the Kodesh and the Kodesh HaKadoshim, that's improper. That's not a proper thing to do. There should be proper respect given even to the kalim of the base Mikdash. Yeah. Like when you're younger, like I, I mean, for me, my dad did take me to the mikvah. Yeah, don't ask, won't ask questions right now, but yes. <laughs> but yeah, 100%. Is it a good thing to be able to go through? Yeah. It's not the most proper thing to do. Not the most proper thing to do. It's, it is brought down in halacha regarding who you can and who you can't. But it's the same idea. The same idea is try to give that type of idea and whatever it is. And the truth is, it's true no matter what you do. Outer appearances always affect a person's, we would call it like impression on you, right? The outer appearances are always there, right? Seeing these items in a state of what we'd call preparation, hachana, for what they're going to do in a journey would obviously be, to an onlooker, it would like take them down a little bit. Yeah, Jake. Um, what if you have to go, it's like, you don't plan to go together, but you see your right there, is it better to leave? Right, so I, it's, it's a good question of itself. You're not required to leave. You're not required to. Okay, so that's the idea behind it. Now, but there's another reason for this as well. And the other reason for this is from the Ramban. It's based on the Ramban. And it's based on Kabbalistic reasons that we kind of don't understand. The idea is the following. It says, the Ramban says, when the Arun was in the Kodesh HaKadoshim, the Shechina was on the Arun Kodesh. That never went away. The Shechina never went away when they went ahead and they had something, whatever, when they when the Arun Kodesh was moved. It was there. It was just put in a different direction. So to speak, the Shechina was there. 
it was just a different, I don't want to say a different Shechina, but a different manifestation that was on top of the Aron Kodesh that was just a little bit different. Says the Ramban, someone who stared at the Aron Kodesh when it was outside of the Kodesh Gedoshim, therefore could be killed. He would see something that he might die from. It's like staring at the Shechina. Granted, it's not the Shechina of the Aron Kodesh and the Kodesh Gedoshim, but it is something. It's something that has to do with the Shechina itself. That same is true by all the Kalim. It might not be the full Shechina that's there by the Aron Kodesh, but there's something that's there, something that affects. And so as we see, even a pretty straightforward pussing of just covering up a Mizbeach seems to be something important that has to be done. Yeah. So this different manifestation of the Shekhinah, is it, is it more holy when it's outside of the... No, the when it's inside. So then why when you... Look you can't at look at it inside either. Oh, okay. Yeah, for sure not. You can't look at it no matter what. Yeah. Is it physical? Like, like no. No, no, no. There's no such thing. Right. No such thing. So like, a manifestation of something that a person could feel, right? But still, there's Mazalayu Chazi, as the Gemara says in Megillah, something like that, which you feel something and it's going to be like that. So that's a problem. Now, the Malbim says that word Vidishnu that we started off with in this Pasuk, Vidishnu is back, they cleared off the ashes from the Mizbech. That word means that you cleared off all the coals and the ashes. Is there an extra sheet, guys? Is there extra sheets over there? Yeah, right under there, right over there. So they they cleared off all the coals and ashes from on top of it. And only then did they put on the purple wool covering. Makes a lot of sense. The Abarbanel says it was practical. The Mizbeach would have been super heavy if they kept all the ashes on it. This made it a little bit lighter, right? It wasn't as great. That's the idea behind it. It would be a little bit lighter that way. The Binyan Shlomo says they didn't do Vedishnos Mizbeach by the Mizbeach Aktores, by the golden Mizbeach. It didn't say it over there, right? Even though there certainly were ashes and coal that were on top of the the golden Mizbeach, maybe the reason why is because the inner Mizbeach was cleared off every single day. That's a Mishnah in Tumid, Paragimel Mishnah test. The outer Mizbeach was only cleared off by a handful, and everything else remained. That's what the Gemara in Yuma Chavdalit says. And therefore, it made it a little different. They had to clear it off before traveling because stuff was left on it. Mizbeach Azov, on the other hand, didn't have anything on it. That makes sense? It does make a lot of sense. There's a party, Yosef, that brings up a Rabbi Nussin Galgalis. I have no idea. Hashem Yechia, what's it called? Should Yinkom Damo, that he should revenge, take a revenge for whatever it was. But I'm not sure exactly what his question is. You can see it over there. The party, Yosef, asked that question. But either way. So why was the Mizbeach Ha'ola the only one that was covered by Argamon? Why was it Argamon, the purple, and not the Tcheles or the Tachash? What was the difference by this one that made it every day different from every single other one? So we have four answers to this question. The Shach says, we know from Bamidbar Rabba, Perak Yudbez, Hawacha Dalid, which says the first set of Luchos were destroyed because of Ayin Hara. There was an Ayin Hara they put on them. We know that in Brachos, Nadalim Abez, a Talmachachim needs Shimor, Shmira, for the exact same reason. There's an Ayin Hara on them. There's something bad that can happen. That's why a Begit of Tcheles was used to cover up. I didn't know this. I, I have no idea if anybody else here knew this. Tcheles apparently knocks off Ayin Hara. Wearing Tcheles allows a person not to have Ayin Hara. So if you put the Tcheles on it, somehow that protected them from Ayin Hara, so you didn't have to worry about that. So it's just the opposite of what we said before. Meaning, we said up above from the Torah more that looking at it could kill you. There's a manifestation of some sort of the Shechina. We said that it's not proper to be able to look at it. This idea from the Baraba is literally the exact opposite. It's going in the opposite direction. And what it's trying to say over here is that since these things need a shmira, right, there's something that you should have for my nine hara, you cover it up in order for other people not to look at it and say, it's not so great, it's not so awesome, it's not so big, therefore we cover it up. The only exception to that was the Mizbeach, 
Right? Apparently, that's why they did it by every one of Tchelas, but not the Mizbeach Ola. The reason why is because the Mizbeach Ola, as we'll see, was also covered by copper. Not only did they put the Argaman on top of it, they're going to put a copper thing on it to keep the fires down, which we'll talk about in a second. Copper apparently also knocks out the Ayin Hara. I have no idea why. My assumption is, this is my assumption, and I have no idea, that Tcheles looks sky blue, so people remember the Kisiyah Kavod, they remember HaKadosh Baruch Hu, they won't do anything bad. That's my assumption when it comes to Tcheles. When it comes to copper, I'm thinking, everybody knows, copper is like a mirror, so everything is mirrored back. You know what I'm saying? Like you see yourself reflected back in it, so you see yourself as opposed to what you're looking at. Do you get what I'm saying? Like that might be why, and it's also a cheaper type of metal. I'm thinking that's why Ayin Hara doesn't go there. But again, this is completely from me, not from anything else. So because of that, apparently that copper should be good enough. So why purple? Why the purple? And by the way, when I call our gum on purple, I'm going to be very clear about this. Not everybody holds that it's purple. It was a deeper shade of red. And I'm not good at stuff like this. Magenta might be the right color that we'd call for something like this. Maybe like a deep shade of, I don't know what the right color would be. Nobody's wearing like dark purple right now, thank God. So like that, that's not, that's not the issue. Right? But like some type of, yeah, sort of like this, like that part maybe. Right? My wife got this for me, so I'm sorry. But I, yeah, so I, either way, regardless, maybe that's the idea of what the Argaman refers to. And because of that, the idea behind the shach is since they used to sprinkle blood all over the Mizbeach, they made a covering that looked like blood. And again, purple doesn't look like blood, but I guess a deeper shade of red, which is what the Argaman might have been, somehow was there. And then, of course, there was Tchelas on top of the Kalim. Maybe that's referring to, but that's number one. The first answer that we have is because it looks like blood, so therefore we treat it as if it was blood. That's number one. Number two, the Abarbanel says something amazing. He says, the Shulchan, the Menorah, and the Inner Mizbeach. Remember, those three were in the Kodesh. You had the Shulchan, the Menorah, and the Inner Mizbeach right over there. They represent the Shemayim above, the heavens above, which is why the outer covering was Tcheles, which represented the sky, the heavens, or because it represented the Shechina, which was similar to Tcheles and whatever it is. The outer Mizbeach represented our world. And since it represented our world, it's Argaman. Argaman is like blood loss and everything. So it's still the idea of blood, but a different reason. Not because they sprinkled the blood on the Mizbeach, because it represents blood and flesh. A human being that lives on the outside as opposed to the others that represent Tcheles something special, and even the Tachash, something out of this world, not in this world itself. But Midbaraba again brings up blood. It's in Yud, Dawid Yud Zion. And he says it made sense to cover the Mizbeach, which allowed Klau Yisrael to be forgiven for their sins. Think of that idea for a second. The idea is blood again, but instead of sprinkling the blood, or the fact that there's blood, blood flesh and blood, etc., it's that we will no longer have to suffer. That's the idea of the Argaman, from the word oreg, which means to weave, separating, taking people away from sin. That's the idea that he says. And number four, our fourth answer is in itziv. The Mizbeach stood for Shefa Ubracha. That's what the Mizbeach did. We brought up the Korbanos to bring Shefa influence and Bracha down to us. It provided Mizonos. That's what the Gemara Ksuvah Yud says. Even the Mizbeach Azov, which burned the Torahs, required coals 
from the outer Mizbech. Shefa influence required something that we needed to do since Bracha started there. Therefore, we have Beged our Gaman. Our Gaman is the color of Malchus. It's what the kings would wear. That, by the way, is more in line with that. It's like a purplish color as opposed to a dark crimson red color, right? I, I don't know why the color blood deals with kings. I'd have to like really look into this and figure it out. But if it is, it's the color of Malchus, the king being the provider of everything that people need. The person who gives Parnas to everybody. So either way, we have four different reasons, although three of them are very similar to each other. Why a beged argaman over anything else? Why that has to do with putting on a top? But then we have an unbelievable Rashi. And the truth is, the rest of this year is going to be about this Rashi. All of that was the sort of introduction. But look at this Rashi. He says, the fire, the fire that came down from the heavens, that consumed the korbanos, right? We all know there was a fire down here and a fire from up above. The fire from Shemaim came down when Nadav and Aviu brought their korb, their Miktar Ktores. They brought the Ktores. The fire came down from the heavens and went down. That fire can, brought on his back, continued to burn even while they traveled. The fire never went out. Now, if the fire never went out, why didn't that burn the the covering that they had, our gum uncovering, right? If you have a fire on top, you'd think that it would completely burn the entire thing. And says Rashi, they put on top of the fire a copper sheet, and the fire underneath it, this is what Rashi says, looked like a crouching lion. There was a lion crouching. I, I don't even know what to do. Like, going down like that. Like, a, a lion crouching as a fire on top of the Mizbeach. And it never burned anything because the copper clee kept it under, you know, under wraps, literally. And then they put the Begadar gum on top of that. The Kalim on top of that. The Tchelis on top of that. And they traveled with that Mizbeach throughout the entire Midbor. Have you heard this before? The fire looks like a lion. Now, we're going to see a Gemara that talks about this a little bit, but it's an unbelievable Gemara. Now, what does that mean? How, would it, how does a fire look like a lion? The answer seems to be that it was not an actual fire. It was a huge coal. The coal that came down from Shemayim, this is not a coal that they created, but a coal that came down from Shemayim for them to use, that somehow allowed the fire from the heavens to come down, was in the shape of a crouching lion. The coal itself looked like a crouching lion. That's the idea behind it. When they removed all the other coals and ashes, it remained in place. They cleared out all the other ashes, all the other coals, and in its place, all they had was the coal from the heavens, which looked like a lion fire, a crouching lion fire over here. Ayala Sashachar says that's still miraculous, right? I mean, why wouldn't that have burned the, the, the copper to the point where the beged on top of it would burn up completely? I'm no expert and I'm no scientist when it comes to stuff like that, but if you have a working fire that's there the entire time, don't you think the copper, which is a metal, I, I just don't know. I would assume it gets hot enough to burn the thing on top, yeah. Right. How does it go through? But if it's Shamayim fire, I guess you go in, you go either way. If it's Shamayim fire, then it doesn't need oxygen. But if it's Shamayim fire, then it didn't need to burn anything. I hear what you're saying. I, I don't have a great, I, I guess it's that. It's miraculous. We're dealing with a miracle. And that's that. So it did what the way it was supposed to be. Now there is a machlux about this in the Sifra. This is, Rabbi Yudah holds the fire that came down from Shamayim was shaped like a lion and stayed under the copper clee while the Mizbeach was moving. That's Rabbi Yehuda. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai argues, 
means that when they traveled, the fire went away completely. The fire went out, so you didn't have to cover it with a copper clee, right? You just put the argaman on top of it, and that was that. So that's Rabbi Yudah, Rabbi Shimon. There's another machlok is Rabbi Yudah, Rabbi Shimon. It's in Yushalmi Yuma Perik Dalit. Rabbi Yudah holds the word Vidishu means they put upon the fire Devorim Dishonim, something to cover it, like the copper clee, because the fire was on the whole time. As they traveled, the fire was on, so they covered it with a clee. And Rabbi Shimon says Vidishu means they cleared away the coals and the ashes. If you remember, those who were here at the very beginning, Rashi used both. But it's strange because he went with Rebbe Yehuda with one and Rebbe Shimon with the other. He held like Rebbe Yehuda, right, that the fire was lit the entire time. But then he went with Rebbe Shimon, right, Rebbe Shimon, that they cleared off the ashes from the word Vidishnu. He also brings down the copper clee that they put on top of it, but it seems like he's a combination of Yudah Rebbe Shimon. It's possible there's a medrash that holds this way, but it's a little bit strange that Rashi's going with the combination sh- shot of Rebbe Yudah and Rebbe Shimon. I don't have a great answer for that whatsoever. The Malbim talks about this a little bit. Yeah, now. Like, we know that Hashem doesn't do miracles for no reason. What's the point of this specific miracle right now on the... I think, because whatever this fire was that was from the Shemayim always had to be used. So I guess that's the reason why it had to happen. And I don't know how often it did. I mean, think about it. How often would they have had this fire? Only when they moved the Mizbeach. So that happened during the 40 years of the Midbor, when they were anyway living in a world of miracles of Anani Akavod and the Mun and the Be'er Shom Miriam. I guess that that's the reason why. But I I don't have a great answer. I really don't have a great answer whatsoever. In fact, the rugged shover, the Tzopnas Paneach, even asked the question, is it usher to extinguish the fire on the Mizbeach while the Mizbeach is moving? It's usher to extinguish the fire on the Mizbeach. You're not allowed to. But are you allowed to extinguish it while it's moving? Is it called the Mizbeach then? In that sense, you're not allowed to cut off a corner of the Mizbeach. Are you allowed to cut off the corner of the Mizbeach while it's moving? Does it have a status of a Mizbeach while it's moving or not? That's a question that's brought down Tzopnas Paneach talks about it. There's a Tosis in Zvachim Samachal from the base. The Chavat Selis HaSharon brings it down the Grizz. It's a Kasha. It's, it's based on this basic idea. But let's go, yeah. What's would, that, I mean, would that apply to anything else? Is it Aaron and Aaron when it's moving? It would be the same by all the Kalim. Yes, it's the same thing. And remember what I said before, how the Aron Kodesh had a different form of the Shechina. It could be that that sort of answers our question. If, right, it sounds like, it sounds like that is, you mean when Peretz and Uzzah, when they were watching whatever, and Uzzah put out his hand to be able to catch it. There's clearly, there's clearly a kavod that the Aron has even when traveling. Does that make it different from the Shulchan? I don't know. The whole and how the, how the, how the themselves. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The might be you might be right. The Aron might have a different status altogether, but I think it's brought up by the Chavetzels. I'd have to look inside. I don't remember, but I think it does make up. I'm sorry? Right, that's when Uzzah, that's when Uzzah put his hand out to try to catch it, right, and tried to catch it and, and unfortunately died because of it. And th- that shows, the Aron Kodesh certainly sounds like it would be different, right? The question is, does it apply to everything? Does the Mizbeach take on the status of the Mizbeach while it's moving? And that's going to be the question over there. I, wait. From the, the Aron Kodesh itself. You know, just because we're here and because we have this, I, I've never understood what happened with the pollution. We know, it's air conditioner, I know. Um, I, I've never understood what happened with the pollution themselves. How in the world did the Aron Kodesh get moved by the pollution from city to city to city? And then eventually, somebody put it on top of the wagon that brought it to Beit Shemesh. The Aron didn't pull itself. But we know the Aron is no CS no of. How in the world did it get from place to place without killing people? And if you say every time somebody touched it, they died. Somebody put it on the wagon. 
Somebody put it on the wagon that brought it over to the to Eretz Yisrael. I, I just don't get what happened. Did they pull it? They just put a rope around it and pulled it onto the wagon itself? I have absolutely no idea. I have no clue. There's nobody that talks about that I could find. I've t- tried looking for it for years. I'm sorry? Never touched the Aron. The Aron Kodesh is already Ganus by Yoshia. Or it was taken by the Babylonians, and the Babylonians would have done something to it together with the Jews, because the Jews were traveling. So whichever answer you go with, but it was definitely not there by the Romans. You didn't have to worry about the Romans whatsoever. Yeah? Right, the poles were there, but the poles were more like rudiment. They were there because of a symbolic reason, as opposed to actual carrying. Because we know the Aron carried the carriers. So I, I, I don't know. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, the poles were considered because low Yisumi meant they couldn't be removed from. But I think see, I, I don't have a great answer. I, I honestly, that's it's one of those questions. I'm sorry. Always on the wagon. Which is also weird, you know, possibly, but then no, it couldn't be because they put it down in the area of Dagon. That's when Dagon fell over right on its face and crashed. You know smashed its nose and everything. But no, somebody had to have brought it with them to the police gym. Unless a Jew brought it there. And then once it's there, somebody had to take it off from where it was. I just can't imagine. No, because they made a brand new wagon. It says Agala Chadasha. And they put it on the Agala Chadasha and the two new parim and they brought the paros, paros, the female they, cows. And they pulled it off. I just, I don't know. Yeah. Like they tried to carry it in and like they were able to get it out of the guy. And they died afterward, you're saying. Yeah. It's still weird. It, it's still weird. You're right. Maybe. I, I, we just don't know. Yeah. Did you die from looking at it? Yes. Because that's what happened to the people of Beit Shemesh. The Beit Shemesh with 50,070 people died because they either looked inside, looked at it improperly, whatever. But yes. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, it would be a problem. They'd have to cover it the entire time. You're right. It would have to have been covered. I don't know. I don't have any answer. I mamish have no answers. I can't, I can't say anything. I, I, I really don't know. So I, I'm not sure. But yes, the Arun seems to be different in answer to that. Okay. Now the Misrahi. The Mizrahi says, hold on a second. There's something wrong with this. There's going to be, we're going to talk about a Gemara in a second in Yuma, but it's strange. It's only while they were traveling that it looked like a lion. That's what it says. It looked like a crouching lion. But in the Gemara in Yuma, it seems the fire always looked like a crouching lion. Rashi over here seems to say it looked like a crouching lion while they traveled, when they cleared out all the other ashes. There was one coal there, or whatever the fire was, and it looked like a crouching lion while they were traveling. But again, the Gemara in Yuma, it seems to be pretty obvious that it was always like a crouching lion. So what's the difference? Says the Mizrahi, what an unbelievable answer. He says, when they traveled, then that coal could be seen. Because they cleared off everything else. If nothing else was there, then all that was left was the coal from Shemaim and it looked like a crouching lion. Right? And that's that. Right? But when they were there, when the Mizbech was normal, they had tons of coals on there. There was tons of burning stuff on there. They had all these korbanos that were on the Mizbech. There were ashes all over the place. They never saw the crouching lion normally, even though it was there, because it was covered by tons of other stuff. And even though they did trumas adeshen, they did clear off a lot of the ashes. They never cleared off all of it, like we said before. They never cleared off all of it. So the, the crouching lion was always there, says the Mizrahi, but it was only seen while they were traveling. That's it. That's that's how the Mizrahi puts it. Now, the Be'er Basada gives a much easier answer. He says, even while traveling, it looked like a crouching lion. You think it would have gone out completely, but not only when it was there, like the Gemara Yuma says, but even while traveling, there looked like a crouching lion. That's how the Be'er Basada says. And the Gurari says, this whole thing was a miracle. You can't ask about these types of things. Even when moving, the fires didn't move. We all know you have a, fire, you have a candle, it flickers at anything. Anything flickers a candle. A candle will just go like that all over the place, right? Even if not 
nothing's happening, just a little bit of wind. When you're moving, you think it would have stayed there. It's clear that this is an absolute miracle. The copper cleat did its job. It didn't make any sense. That's how the Gurari puts it. The Gurari has his idea. That's the idea behind it. But before I, I, before we get to Yosnayim Latorah, I, I, I got to tell you, this Gemara and Yuma made no sense to me until I found somewhat of an answer to be able to figure it out. There's a Gemara and Yuma, there are five things to know about the Eish Shomarocha, the Eish in the base of Mikdash. Number one, it looked like a crouching lion. That's the first thing that we have, the one that we know right over here. Number two, it was as bright as the sun and was not reddish like our candles. Like our candles. You know, we're not as shocked by this anymore because we have electricity. We know what lights can look like. We can make any any color we want, we can make lights, right? We can do anything we want. Back then, to have a fire that didn't look like a reddish fire was a chiddish. They'd never seen it before. It was a yellowish fire that they had never seen. That's number two, this fire from the base of Mictish. Number three, it could be felt like coals are felt. Remember how he said that the crouching line was really a coal that was there? According to this Gemara, it was not a real coal. It was like a fire that Mamish lied like a dog. That's what it looked like. Like a lying dog on the Mizveach, right? I'm calling it a coal, but it really wasn't. It was a fire that was able to be touched. I mean, if you wanted to burn your hand off, right? But it was right there. That's number three. Number four, it was able to consume anything dry and moist, which obviously would take a while for a normal fire to do. And number five, no smoke. There was no smoke that came from this fire. It was a fire that burned, but no smoke came from it. And again, I, I don't even question it anymore. You can have nuclear fires, right? In which you can have the concept of a nuclear fire in which something could exist without. You could have incandescent bulbs nowadays. I don't have a problem with this anymore. I have no idea what the fire Mina Shemayim was, but it doesn't bother me anymore because we, we can have a, something like it in our world today. We can see it. I'm sorry, Saul? But it was just electricity, like, like it was a light bulb. It's possible that a Kurdish bar who gave them something that they weren't really to see at the time, and it was something like electricity. I have absolutely no idea. We have no clue. Absolutely no clue. But it doesn't bother me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm sure when people saw that come out, they're like, that's crazy talk. How could such a thing happen? Now, I look at it, and I'm like, yeah, it makes sense. You could have something like that. The Gemara then challenges the idea that it looked like a lion. Because Rabbi Haninas Gana Kohanim, he was a Tana, which means he was by the second Besa Mikdash. Rechininus Kanakwanim says, I saw the Aish that came down from Shemayim. I saw it. And it looked like a crouching dog, not a lion. A crouching dog. It's interesting, right? The Gemara answers, that's the difference between the first base of Mikdash and the second base of Mikdash. First base of Mikdash, a crouching lion. Second base of Mikdash, it was a crouching dog. That's the idea behind it. Now, the Torah Sa'ola, the Ramah, brings down a Chil Gimel, Perak Beis, that Shefa, influence, comes down from Shemaim according to the Mechablim, according to how you can receive it. How you'd be able to receive it. In the first base of Mikdash, they were able to receive Shefa on the level of a lion. Well, by the second, they didn't have that energy anymore. They could only get it like a dog. And that's the idea. The more food you eat, the more energy you have, the less you eat, the less energy you have. That's the idea. And by this reason, there was such great sadiq, and they were able to pull down the level of a lion. While on the second base of Mikdash, it went less and less and whatever, to the point of a dog. And the Gemara says in Shabbos, Kupnun, Hayam, there is no one poorer than a dog. There's no one poorer than a dog. The dog is the worst that you can get out there. Now, that's one answer, one idea behind this. But my biggest problem is, I, just think about that for a second. When in the world would they have seen it by the second base of Mikdash? I mean, think of the Mizrahi's answer for a second. The Mizrahi's answer, right, is by the first base of Mikdash, when they were traveling, it looked like a dog because all the other ashes were gone. 
Right, like a lion, I'm sorry, because all the other ashes were gone. When they weren't traveling, they couldn't see it because it was surrounded by ashes and everything else on top of it, so they never saw it. In the second base of Mikdash, did they ever travel? Did they bring the Mizbeach anywhere? No, they didn't bring the Mizbeach anywhere. It never traveled. Why would they have ever seen it, according to this Mizrahi? When would that have been? So on that, the Oznayim Torah suggests, this is... As Naim Torah says, it's possible that we're only talking about when the Mizbeach is cleared out. There were times where they cleared all the ashes out. I'm assuming like once a year maybe, they would clear out all the ashes and all the garbage and clear it out, or everything, and make it totally clean. Or Pesach, right. I would assume right around that time when they had all those korbanos that they were about to put on, I would assume they did it and they put that all down. I'm assuming that's what they did over there. I have absolutely no idea, but somehow, somehow, that's when they were able to see it, when they cleared out everything else. I think that's what it was. Wait, Ari, did you have a question? What, who had a question over there? Yeah. yeah. What, what do you mean? On the Mizbeach itself, the Mizbeach was the Mizbeach and Echoshes. So it was copper on top for them to burn on top of it. So there was that. It was stone underneath by the Mishkan, but by the actual Mizbeach that they used by the base of Mikdash, it became copper, like a copper top. They had a copper top in the Mishkan as well. But either way, that's what it referred to. So it was something on top of that. Now, there are a bunch of other answers as to the difference between the first and the second base of Mikdash. There's a beautiful Marsha. The Marsha says the difference between the two is Shlomo Melech built the first base of Mikdash, and there Therefore, was a lion. Shlomo Melech is from Shevet Yehuda. Yehuda's symbol is a lion, which makes sense that the fire would look like an actual lion. That makes sense. While the second base of Mikdash was made by Koresh, the king of the Persians, and then Darius II, right? Who was also one of the Persians. The Persians were represented by dogs. The Gemara Roshan Adaf Gimel Medal says that Koresh even had a dog as its, as his Shegel, as his queen, as his consort, so to speak, that was by his side. And therefore, yes, that's one of the opinions of the Gemara that it's disgusting, right? But therefore, because of that, right, the dog represents Persia. My only problem with this, Marshal, I, I, you can't argue with the Marshal, but like, it, it sounds strange. Shlomo Melech didn't build the base of Mikdash. He had Hiram, the king of Tzur, and Hiram, the artisan, build the base of Mikdash, and it was all non-Jews. It was 150,000 people who were quasi-Gerim, who built the base of Mikdash along with Hiram, Melech Tzur. Not a single Jew lifted up a finger, according to, the, according to the Medrash. Not a single Jew. It was all made by them, although Shlomo financed it. By the second base of Mikdash, Koresh may have financed it, or Darius may have financed it, depends on which one, the foundations versus the actual thing, they financed it, but it was Jews that built it. The Jews built it by themselves. When the non-Jews came to help Sanbalat and everybody else, Ezra and all the people said, get out of here, we're doing this ourselves, we don't want your help. So it wasn't non-Jews that built it. Unless the Marsha is trying to say that the financier of the base of Mikdash is the most important part, point. Not the builders, but the finan- financing of it was the biggest thing. Shlomo Allah financed the first, and Kohli financed the second, and therefore it's a lion and a dog. Otherwise, I would find it really strange, but I think that's it. Dave? I thought David was allowed to build the foundation, so maybe it's because of David. The, the lion? What difference does it make? Either way, David or Shlomo. And I don't know if the foundation was built back there. Okay, it may be. Uh, the foundation probably wasn't. Yeah, Dovinamel probably. He built the Shisin. I don't know if he actually built the actual foundation or what we call the Shisin, whatever that means. Right, something underneath. Yaakov? Point to the fact about the financing and bringing that uh, we have the same thing by the uh, by the sh- uh, heads of the Shvatim where they were like they waited until the end to donate and therefore they were 
punishing. Oh, because you deal with the money is probably a huge issue. That's what you mean. It's a good call. Yeah, Naf. Isn't that showing honor to Kurdish? Like showing honor to Persia? Isn't that like that the dog was there? Yeah. Isn't that like terrible? Like not a good thing? Like why is it? Why are we showing honor call. to Kurdish? Yeah, I don't have a great answer for that. It's a great answer. It's a, it's a good thing. I'll tell you. It's even. I'll tell you even more so. The craziest thing the Chida points out in Pesach Einayim. Pesach Einayim is a sefer that he wrote on Shas, right? His uh, sefer on Agadita from the Abarbanel. The Abarbanel says that Kurdish. Now again, if you go through the history, right? Nebuchadnezzar had a son. His name was Evel Merod. The evil way to rem- the, the good way to remember that his name was like Evil Murdoch. See, Nebuchadnezzar's son was Evil Murdoch, right? Evil Murdoch was Belshazzar. His son was Belshazzar. Belshazzar's daughter, as everybody knows, was Vashti. Belshazzar was killed. And then Koresh and Darius took over. Koresh and Darius the first, right? Koresh was, they were both kings for five years. One was from Mede, one was from Persia. Then Achashverosh took over, and then after it was Darius II. It's a little confusing who built. Koresh originally made the foundations of the base of Darius II was the one who ended up building, or financing the building of the base of Mekdush, the second base, the second base of Mekdush, sending in Ezra, and then later on sending in Nehemiah, right? It's a little confusing who happened with what. But the craziest thing is that the Abarbanel brings down a medrash, which we have, but it's an Otsara medrash from Eisenstein. It's a very, very strange medrash, that Koresh in Persian means dog because he was raised by wolves. Have you heard that medrash? Yeah. That he was raised by wolves? It was Koresh. So and he was the father of Achashverosh or the person who raised Achashverosh and therefore that's why we call it the dog, right? That everything. But that's even more so. Why in the world are we giving him that cover to be able to go on there? I don't know. But, wait, really quickly. I, just, I, I want to finish this off really quickly. Um, Gurari, the Maral, says a crazy difference between them. And I, I thought about it and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's 100% right. That, that's how they do it. Lions crouch, and all big cats crouch. Think of a big cat lying in wait, ambushing its prey. Think of almost anything. A cheetah, a tiger, a leopard, a jaguar, a lion. Any of the big cats would do the exact same thing. They will lie in wait, and they can sit in their spot for hours on end without moving. If you ever see a lioness hunting, slowly but surely moving itself, almost like without being able to see it, a tiger going through the brush to be able to go through, it's able to stand in place for a very, very long time. The crouching is waiting and waiting and waiting, while a dog cannot do it. Cannot do it. It gets too excited. It can't sit down, crouch, and wait. It gets up and jumps up and goes around. They're just too excited. They're like the ADD versions of the cats, you know? They, they, they can't do it, right? That cat will wait, it'll sit there, and the dog will just jump up and do everything. Says the Gorarie, that's the difference between them. By the first base of Mikdash, the Shechina was stuck to us. He was so connected, the Shechina was so connected to us, it was like a lion, lying in wait, waiting for Klau Yisrael to do tshuva, waiting for us to do the right thing, sitting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. That was by the first base of Mikdash. By the second base of Mikdash, the second... It was like a dog. It was like a dog. And the dog was the idea of where Kaddish Baruch who very quickly had to leave. Very quickly. Didn't want to be with us anymore. Where the Shekhinah was not as stuck to us and all of a sudden it just left and the Yavanim came in. And then it just left and the Romans came in. And everything that happened in the second base of Mikdash, that's the concept that the Gorariya says right over there. There's another one over here The Ion Yaakov has an answer. The Gorariya adds to that idea. He says another answer that deals with that. The Arizal says the difference between a lion and a dog is in their protection. It's not necessarily true by all dogs nowadays. I think they, they get a little different from what the dogs were maybe even 500 years ago. But lions will not just protect. If you have a lion as your protector, the lion will go after the person chasing after you and knock him down, kill him, do everything. A dog will bark and wake you up. The difference is that 
the lion will awaken itself, do something, be all out there, let everything happen. The dog will make you do the work. No, now, isn't that funny? Yeah, and I'm saying, 500 years ago, I think that's different from the Rottweilers or whatever you have today. I think it's very different today. But I think back in the day, that makes sense. The dogs were more like jackals, right? More like jackals, you know, the original the original domestic dogs. And I think that's the difference between them. That's Bias Rishon versus Bias Shani. And Bias Rishon, they were saved before they had to do anything. They didn't have to do anything, and they were already saved. By Bias Shani, they had to get up and do something. Hanukkah, think Hanukkah. They had to get up and do something in order for something to happen. Like, yeah. like they had to actually build the base of makers by the second one. So like dogs, like like they have to actually do it. To do something. To do something and get involved. I totally hear it. I completely hear it. Now, I'm going to end with this, everybody. I, I, there's there's a it's simple, and I, I don't normally see this, but there was a there's an unbelievable Zohar that's out there that talks about the Malach whose name is Uriel. Now, we all know Rafal, Michal, Gavriel, right? But at night, anybody who says it right before, you know, right before you go to sleep, we have Uriel was one of the four as well. It's the reason why the word Gemara comes in. Gemara is Gavriel, Michal, Rafal, Uriel. It's the Rashi Tevis of those four to surround us with that protection wherever we go. That's the idea behind it. So Uriel, according to this Zohar, right, looks like a lion, has the appearance of an Ariel. It's supposed to be like that. That's the name, Uriel versus Ariel. It's supposed to be almost like a lion. The lion appears either as a strong creature. This is what the Zohar says. There are two versions of it. He says, Yeshomrim, Yeshomrim. Either it appears like a strong creature standing over its prey, ready to consume, or it's like a large lion, large lion, lying over its korban. That's the two wording that's right over there. And the reason why is because there are two aspects to this line. And this is explained by the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Lubavitcher Rebbe writes in an Igaris, he says, the word Aryeh is the gematria of Gevura. It's supposed to be Midas Gevura, the Midas Adin, the strength, so to speak, the left side. On the other hand, we all know and that the Kisiyah Kavod has a picture of an Arya on it. The Arya is on the right-hand side, which is the side of Chesed. There seems to be this duality, this dichotomy that, deal, that lions have, in which they're both Midas Adin and Midas Chesed at the exact same time. And maybe that's the idea that a lion can be at rest. And when you see a lion resting, that, that lion at any zoo, 23 hours a day, that thing is sleeping. Three is sleeping, doing absolutely nothing. But when it needs to get up and do something, it gets up and it's strong and it does something very, very strongly. Maybe the difference between these two aspects is how one brings a korban. If a guy brings a korban because he has to bring a korban, and that's what I have to do, and that's what the Mizbech represents, then in Echanami, then HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends in a lion that appears like something that's just consuming and grabbing it and taking it for itself. And just grabbing it for itself and just grabbing all of it for, for doing whatever it needs to do. If a person brings a korban in the way that's supposed to be an, an aspect of chassid, he does because this is a matana, this is what a Kaddish Baruch Hu wants, this is what I'm supposed to do, then all of a sudden that korban is with love. And Uriel accepts it the way he should, like a large lion that's standing over the korban itself. And perhaps that helps us with our daven. The question is, when we daven, do we daven in a way in which we're davening in a gevuradika fashion? Because we feel like we have to. So we just rush inside, rush out, right? We just quickly like get ourselves in there and just say, like, all right, well, we got to get davening done, so let's just get it done, and we go in there. And then Uriel comes and grabs our tefillah, consuming it like a lion would consume it, in a midasadin type of fashion. Like, all right, if you're going to do that, then I'm just going to grab it, throw it back up there, and that's that. Or is it in a way of, but I like davening, and I want to daven, and I want to do this in the best possible way. So you have a little bit of chesed involved where all of a sudden you're giving it to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, so to speak. You're handing it over to a Kaddish Baruch Hu, becomes a matana, and then all of a sudden the Ariel, the Uriel, 
Israel that comes and takes this this korban is standing there saying this is a, a worthy gift to a Kaddish Baruch Hu. That's Yad Ibanan. If so, maybe that's what Bilam meant. Bilam said in his vision in Perichav Gimel Pasachav Dalit, he said, "Hein am kum." There are people that stand up like a lion and lift themselves up like an Ari. They were like a lion lifting itself up from its crouch. If that's the shot behind this Rashi, the concept of a lion lying on the Mizbeach, the fire representing that lion going up there, forget about the second base of Mitzvah right now with the dog. If we're dealing with the first base of Mitzvah, perhaps that's the idea. With Chesed, we'll be able to overcome that Midas Adin and get up like lions to do a Kaddish Baruch Hu's will in the morning. And that makes sense. That's the first words of Shulchan Aruch. Yisgaber Kari, Lasos Ritzon Kono. How? The way that an Ari does something in the best possible way, in a chesed dika fashion. All right, guys, we're going to stop with that. Have a great... You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.